It's a champagne. I'm cheap. It's Prosecco. Carver, You've never touched it. Why is that? Well, because I'm so short, I get drunk very quickly. So if I'd drunk it all already, I'd be like, if you have me on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm trying you've, to show some restraint. You've not listened to Thirsty Bitch, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Usually by the time we record that podcast, uh, Amiko's already really drunk. I'd just like to welcome Ed Dyson to the Shades of Gay Yee. podcast. So welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I know it's been, I don't, how did we actually get in touch? I think I saw your podcast online. You've got a, it's uh, the podcast that you've got. Is, it's all about RuPaul Drag Queen, United Queendom. United Queendom. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Where did that title come from? Well, I was drunk. I'm making myself sound like such a drunk already. <laughs> but not. Um, <laughs> and I knew I was going to do a drag race podcast. And I was with my friend Chloe and with my boyfriend Lewis. Um, we were sat on the table just binge drinking one evening. And uh, we were brainstorming. And I said, I need an idea for what it is. Something that's like drag and United Kingdom. Something British and drag. United Queendom. And then I just like, before we even brainstormed, had answered my own question. I was like, oh, it's genius. <laughs> and then um, I got my friend Chloe to record the theme tune, which yeah. uh, she sings in like an operatic style, mm -hmm. a version of the um, God Save the Queen. So it's United Queendom. Obviously, yeah. I can't do it, so that's why I didn't sing it. And I, I love do the it, do theme again, tune. Again. United Queendom! <laughs> I need some auto-tune there. So yeah, she um, generously did the theme tune for us, and I absolutely love the theme tune. And it's the only part of the podcast I listen to, because I don't want to listen to myself. Why? Because I'm just worried I'll be too self-conscious. I'll be like, oh, I sound annoying, so I'm just going to... Um, it'll affect how I do the recording. So I prefer not to listen to it back, but I always listen to just the first... So just the intro. On, on repeat later there in bed at night time. I'm going to queen Yeah, I hope, hope that counts as a listen. So. <laughs> it probably does. I think it's about five seconds into it before it clocks as a listen. <laughs> I think me listening to the theme tune is 90% of our listenership. So. <laughs> over and over. It is. If you haven't, if you haven't uh, listened to the United Queendom right. podcast, it's all about RuPaul. Do you want to do a little bit of your uh, housekeeping and plug your own stuff before we continue? Yeah, so United Queendom, it originally started uh, as a recap show for Drag Race. Uh, which it still is, and we'll be doing that next year, not just for Drag Race UK, but also for the American show, All Stars 5, Season 12, and Drag Race Celebrity, because they're churning out series of Drag Race now so fast, we're going to be recapping every day of the week. Yeah. But we're going to do all those seasons and get to uh, Season 2 of UK Drag Race next year. And in between, we do lots of specials. We interview the queens from the show. We've had Trixie Mattel, Courtney Act, Bianca Del Rio... And then um, that comes out every Monday. And then on Thursdays, we do the Ed and Charlie show, which yeah. is non-drag race related. Although naturally, we still end up talking about drag race because we're gay and <laughs> we have little else to talk about. But yeah. we give advice to uh, celebs and plebs, as we say. Yeah. Uh, celebrities write in and ask for advice. People like Jeremy Corbyn, Taylor Swift, I Kate Price. I heard the Jeremy Corbyn. I heard all that the other day when I listened to it. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and they, they really need our help. So they write in and we give it to them. Um, and then just the last couple of weeks, we started taking listener questions as well, which we were not sure about because we wanted to stick strictly VIP. But we've uh, we've answered a few of them and they've been quite funny. So we think that's oh. going to be a regular feature as well. Oh, you're not saying shared on your listeners that they're not all VIPs. The VIP is just because they're listening. Oh, we shade them every week. Did you? <laughs> yeah. And ourselves. We're not VIP, but we we try to keep it strictly A-list with the, the letters. But there's only so many stars out there. So eventually. Yeah, but I mean, the, the list, the, the bio that you sent over to me, you're talking about drag, the drag race. But you, you are, we'll go into it. Yeah, you're a journalist, you're an author. You also do some comedy writing, and in regards to the RuPaul Drag Race, you've you've uh, you've written for Alaska Thunder 
Thunderfuck. Uh, William? It's not that's not Will I Am, is it? Willem. No, Will I Am is oh. not a drag queen. <laughs> Fergie might be, but Will I Am is not. No, Willem, yes. There's Lady Bunny, we've got Thor. I mean, the list goes on that you've written for them. So how did that come about? Well, it started a few years ago with Lady Bunny. Okay. Are you familiar with her? And, and I'm uh, to be honest, I do watch RuPaul's Drag, but it's like I'll watch one episode, then maybe a few weeks, or maybe a couple months. I'll just do it that way. So right, I, I'm I, leaving the podcast now. No, no, <laughs> I do like it. Yeah, I'm oh, no, that's it. Thanks <laughs> you for joining us, Jezebel. That was that's it. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do like it. I just don't. I, not as much. You're not as you. obsessive. No, no. You have a life. That's good. <laughs> I need barely. to look into that. <laughs> How do you get into writing for these people? Yes, I interviewed Lady Bunny a few years ago. Um, she is not a drag race contestant. She's a kind of a drag legend. Uh, she was coming up at the same time as RuPaul. She's actually the person who first put RuPaul into drag. Wow. Oh, did RuPaul put her into drag? One oh, or the other. Dilemma. Sorry, my memory fails me. But she, Lady <laughs> Bunny's been around for decades and decades. She's a huge legend on the New York scene. She started the festival Wigstock. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, and she appeared herself. She she often is referenced on Drag Race, and she made an appearance finally on All Stars Four. But yeah. I interviewed her a few years ago. I was very excited about it, and we got on really well. Uh, she was just a joy to interview. Very funny, very opinionated. And then afterwards, I was just chatting to her, and I was just like, "Do you ever use writers?" Because it'd always been in the back of my mind that I was, I think. Um, a closeted hilarious person that had yet to be discovered. So I thought on a whim, <laughs> Lady Bunny, do you ever use writers? And she said she does. Yeah. She asked her f- uh, for me to send some stuff over, which I did. She mm-hmm. liked it. She um, paid for it and used it. And since then, I started regularly writing for her, writing her roast jokes, That's some stand up material, parody music, uh, whatever she needed. Uh, so that was going well, but it was just like a little bit of a side fun thing. And then Eventually, I gained enough confidence to start reaching out to other girls from Drag Race. And I was really surprised with with how much they did need writers, which makes sense because obviously we often are aware of how much they use designers, stylists, makeup artists, that it takes a village to create these these legends. But um, the writing is often in the shadows. So yeah, eventually I reached out to a few more and especially with the haters roast, um, they're a tour where all the queens tour the country and they all roast each other Mm. and read each other to fill. Uh, That's like my speciality. (laughs) So I write a lot of those uh, mean, horrible jokes for them because I have a lot of experience being mean and horrible since childhood. Oh, well, (laughs) we're going to get to that very soon. So you're actually telling me that when you watch RuPaul, the American one or the UK one, someone's written what they say on stage for them. Uh, not on not on Drag Race. No. Okay. So on Drag Race, they're competing on the TV show, and they they're on their own. Okay. Uh, so sometimes there have been a few stories about producers helping them with jokes here or there. Yeah. And if there's something that they go onto the show knowing is going to happen, for example, the reading challenge, which they do every season, uh, they might have been savvy enough to get a writer to write them a few reads that they could use, or their snatch game characters. Sometimes they get help with that. But no, on Drag Race, it tends to all come from them. But it's when they leave Drag Race. Uh, they are touring the world. And if they've um, established themselves as a comedy queen on the show, often their fans, when they pay to see them uh, in venues, expect some comedy. Yeah. And um, yeah, sometimes they, uh, a lot of them do write their own stuff, but it's like with most comedians, you write your own stuff and you also are open, a lot of them are open to using other people's material as well. Even like the people like Ben De La Creme, like um, Bob the Drag Queen, the funniest. Or Karen from Finance. Karen from Finance, yeah. Karen from Finance, Victoria would think, no? Who's Karen? Where's Karen from Finance? I've heard it on many D 
different shows at some point. And she gets referenced a lot. I don't think yeah. it came from Victoria Wood, but maybe. Um, she's an Australian drag queen. She hasn't been on Drag Race yet, but she's big in Australia. And they're getting their own version next year, Drag Race Australia. So uh, I think okay. we might be seeing her on that. Maybe oh, yeah. as a judge, maybe as a contestant. I don't know. That's nice. But the, the, the comedy thing that you said that from us talking earlier, that comedy is kind of in your family, not necessarily as a career, but there's always been a bit of humor amongst your family. Oh, yeah. In, I think everyone in my family is very funny. And um, so, yeah, that's uh, when, whenever my family spend time together, I think that's always the um, top of the agenda. Well, the only agenda is making each other laugh. Like yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not a family that tends to have serious conversations. So I just grew up in that environment where everyone's always laughing, joking, taking the mickey out of each other. So I think that definitely um, helped me when I ended up later writing roast material for people and having a good insult at the ready. Yeah. So Especially having two brothers. Did you ever steal from your family? Did you go, well, actually, mum, that's a good one. I'll write that for Alaska Thunderfuck. <laughs> Um, I definitely <laughs> reference my family a lot in writing I've done. So when um, I've written a sitcom this year, which is definitely very influenced by my family. So if um, okay. if that gets made next year, then I'm sure I'll be hearing from their lawyers. But you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've actually said that, that this sitcom that you've written is actually being, uh, you've got some interest coming your way for that one, haven't you? Oh, yeah, there's some uh, yeah. some channels that are interested, so that's exciting. But um, I shouldn't say too much in case they uh, drop it and aren't interested and then I look like a fool. Yeah, in case that the, <laughs> uh, these people are actually listening to my podcast. <laughs> Pick it up. But going back to the whole comedy thing is that, um, did that help? A lot, a lot of comedians use comedy as a form of escapism. So mm -hmm. trying to get some nitty gritty out of here. You, did you start comedy off because there was something internal going on with yourself? Or is it just, it, it's just funny? I think, yeah, like most comedians, I don't consider myself a comedian, just a comedy writer, but a lot of comedians say that um, their sense of humor, their comedy does come from a, a dark place. Yeah. And I think that's true of of just life in general. Like when whenever you, I don't know, speak to someone like a nurse or anyone who's used to being around a lot of tragedy and trauma, they tend to have what they call it gallow humor where they mm -hmm. they have to make a joke of things because when things life gets hard life gets tough like that's what you do you have to kind of see the funny side it's that old saying like if if, if i didn't laugh and yeah. cry okay you have like to every day isn't it? i know and it's like <laughs> and as most gay men can relate to it's um usually you grew up in a a tough time uh either with what was going on externally or what was going on internally so i think that's why uh, a lot of gay men do tend to be known for being very funny mm. or quite quick is because they had to be, or we yeah. had to be because, you know, you were never too far from being called a faggot or being chased by pitchforks. <laughs> and that's just your family. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up in Huddersfield, how was that? Because uh, anyone that's from Yorkshire knows that Huddersfield's maybe not the most, or well, maybe back then, but not the most open when it comes to things like homosexuality. Well, as someone from Yorkshire as well, you should know, you don't pronounce the H, it's Uddersfield. Uddersfield, sorry, <laughs> I, I'm from Harrogate. Harrogate. So, but I say Harrogate. <laughs> it's Uddersfield, yeah. Don't, just don't leave your cars yeah, in the street. That's what <laughs> happened to mine. I got a window smashed last time in Huddersfield. Oh, God. That's just yeah. their way of saying hello. That's just... <laughs> I gathered. Yeah, because it happened. I was in Motherham as well, like the oh, week God. later, and it happened again. So I'm kind of guessing that kind of areas. Shit. Oh, I apologize on behalf of it. <laughs> everyone from the Huddersfieldians. Everyone from Huddersfield. I'm sorry. <laughs> but how did that? You came out, because you said you came out quite a young age. You came out at eight. No. Oh, he didn't come out at eight. I just started to realize that I was gay. So I came out to myself. No, I didn't. Oh, did you? You had an internal dialogue, did you? I didn't, did you? didn't <laughs> announce it in junior school. No, what, when I first realized something was unusual, 
uh, was <laughs> define unusual uh, was when um, I was very into take that which already was um, probably weird for a young boy maybe eight is too young maybe I was like 10 um, and I used to lay in bed at night don't worry, this is not going to get too graphic. With the Marco and post on you all from Big Magazine. <laughs> no, he was the one I never had in this fantasy. Yeah. So I used to lay in bed and I used to picture, take that, uh, apart from Jason and Mark, so it would just be Robbie, Gary and Howard. Um, the three of them would come into my bedroom oh gosh. separately. They'd come over to my bed, not all together. Uh, so first it would always be <laughs> Gary. Yeah. He'd come and then he'd kiss me on the forehead. And then he'd walk out and then he'd send in the next one, which was Howard. And Howard would come in and he always had his dreadlocks at this time. Okay. Bear in mind, this is a fantasy. This didn't happen. I don't and you're 10 or eight. <laughs> yeah, I'm very go. young. And yeah. then Howard would kiss me on the forehead and then he would leave. And then finally, the piece to resistance, Robbie would be sent in because I was, yeah. and to be truthful, still am obsessed with Rob Williams. He would come in and then... Lo and behold, he would kiss me on the forehead. Why and the leave. forehead? What? I mean, I know, well, I know you're I was eight, very so you don't young, know much. So I wasn't like fantasizing about take that blowjob orgies yet. <laughs> but, but I also was old enough to know, I don't think other boys are picturing take that kissing them on the forehead. Okay. So I was like, something's up. And then I remember one time being in the shower. This, every story I say is, sounds like I'm about to tell a masturbation story, but <laughs> I swear does. I'm not. Uh, I can tell one in a second though. But the, I was in the shower and I remember thinking to myself, I am gay. I don't even think I would have thought the word gay, actually. I was like, I mm. fancy boys. I okay. like boys. But I made a promise to myself that I would never tell anyone. So I was like, okay, no. I've told myself now, but I'm never going to repeat this to another person. But why, why would that be? Well, you just, you know from a young age that, or at least our generation, you know that it's mm. not going to be well received. Like just, yeah. and little things that people would never even think in your family and not blaming anyone, but just even for like trying on a bit of makeup or putting mm. on like one of your mum's dresses. This is just last week. <laughs> this no, is what you did. This is did. when I was like five oh. and people going, what are you doing? Stop that. <laughs> and obviously it's just, it's not that serious, but really to you, it, every little experience like that is an extra clue that, oh, the things that I like, the way that I am is not the way you're meant to be. Mm. And it builds up this, sorry, I'm, um, one of the hardest things I find about doing a podcast is not burping. And the fact you've given me fears is just like. Oh, is that why you're not? To go for it, I can edit it out. Yeah, yeah. We don't edit out my burps on my podcast. So it's just become like I, a running joke, but I don't want to bring it onto someone else's podcast. I've listened, uh, to be fair, I've listened to three of your podcasts so far. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's what's an old podcast. Today. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't know if, you, if you talk a lot, I think air goes in your mouth and like it gets more gassy. Yeah, you'd be I'm exercises. making excuses. Just do, just do like me, 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 me. It's all about me, 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 me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they, they do say that warm water is quite good for talking, but on our podcast, whether it's shades of gay, whether it's thirsty bitch, there's always alcohol. So burp away. It's burpy bitches today. Yeah, <laughs> um, <no, I'm> <laughs> I like. Hang on a minute. <sighs> oh my yeah. god, you have a soundboard. We need a soundboard. Yeah. We need you on our podcast. I'll bring my cake. There we go. We can do it. <laughs> what was I talking about? See, I go off on tangents. Um, fantasies when you was like eight or ten. Oh, I was saying, yeah, about how you realize that you're, what you are is wrong. And I think this is something that's really underestimated in adulthood. Because everybody, straight people and even gay people themselves, all, often confine the experience of being gay and, dare I say, the trauma of being gay 
to just the coming out yeah. period. But really, if you spent most of your childhood adolescence thinking that the way you are is wrong and being ashamed of your natural feelings, that trauma is carried through with you to adulthood and even today. And I don't think it ever leaves you. No. I think there's still, when you've been ashamed of yourself, I don't think that just disappears just because you came out and suddenly had friends and things started to be okay on the outside. It festers in you and I think it, it, it comes through like a cancer. And I think a, a lot of times that's responsible for a lot of the issues that plague the gay community, like the drugs, the drink, I say with my glass of fizz in my hand. <laughs> yeah, which is both drugs and drink. <laughs> Did you drug it? Oh, thank you. No, no, I was no. going to ask, but oh, I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> I just like a cocktail. Um, so yeah, I, um, I, I promised myself I would never tell another soul. And then once... I started getting more and more into steps. I realized that that was just oh, not going to be possible. Yeah, yeah. I really was. So I was doing, <laughs> buying every step single, doing every routine, like, okay, we need to reevaluate this. I, I think telling people is ne neither here nor there. I think yeah. they're going to know. Yeah. And yeah. they did. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> and my mum and dad, my mum and dad actually didn't figure it out. God knows how. Um, but they found out because um, some, another parent of another child at my school told them. Oh, what? The, the mum went up to my mum and said, um, oh, it's so good that you're so like fine with Ed being gay. So I think, oh. uh, I don't know what the intention was there with her because it's a very yeah risky thing to do. And my mum mm. was just like, say what? Yeah. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> like, so she took me home and her my dad sat me down. They were like, oh, we've heard this. Is it true? Mm. And I just, I was 16 at this point. Mm. Um, and I just broke down in tears in front of them and didn't even confirm it. I just cried and it was obviously very obvious. And then- um, <laughs> With your feather bow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took off my gimp mask and just said, yes, it's true. <laughs> and then I, um, I, my mum said to me, um, we still love you, which at Aww. the time really upset me. Cause, and I, yeah. I, now, I understand, I have a lot of sympathy for parents as well as, the gay in this situation because yeah. it's like there's no rule book on what to do especially back then i think people were just making it up as they go along and obviously that seems like a nice thing to say but to me uh, we were talking earlier about how you can be very sensitive during that time and look into things and i was just like what do you yeah. mean you still love me like in spite oh, of this yeah i just found it like well you you shouldn't even need to, to say that um and like my dad cried a lot and in a good way is it my in a loving way or is it a crime because I, I never saw him again after that? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> this um, took a dark turn. <laughs> um, no, he's um, yeah. My dad's been very supportive. I think the thing is with parents, it is upsetting, and it's not upsetting just because oh shit, my son's gay. I'm not going to have a grandchild and all this stuff. It's I think it's upsetting to realize that you didn't know, don't know your son as well as you thought you did. Yeah. And that they've been hiding something from you for years and that they've been suffering. Like if I had a gay son and he came out to me and I didn't know and I realized he'd been keeping a secret for years and feeling ashamed of himself, I'd be devastated. Not because I'm ashamed to have a gay right. son, but because that is an upsetting experience. So I understand it completely now with hindsight. But at the time, it's all about, you know, we love a bit of drama. So I, was, <laughs> I think with a lot of gay people, especially, I mean, are you, you're post queer as folk generation, no? I watched it. I'm. I have controversial views on queer as folks. So How old were you? Get into that. I was very, very young. Okay, so like I was. I'm, 
This is probably going to be different here. I was at university when Queer as Folk, the UK version, came out. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a game changer because uh, the way that you, you, you are brought up thinking, I, I live through Section 28, all these kind of things that you, you talk about yourself. But yeah. as soon as Queer as Folk, we won't go too much into it, but as soon as Queer as Folk came out for me, suddenly loads of camp actors came on every soap and that led to every, it, it being normalized f- yes. from my point of view. Mm-hmm. So for me, being of a certain age when that came out, it, it was amazing because you, you suddenly heard about kids coming out at 16 at school and you're like, wow, this is actually really quite good. Yeah. So, um, but like as it's gone on, people coming out now are just doing it on social media. You know, at any kind of age, which yeah. is probably not what you've experienced. Or not coming out at all, which I think is great. Oh, yeah, not having to. I mean, yeah, not stay in the closet. I mean, I hear about um, young people now in school just like, well, he didn't even really need to tell us. It wasn't even an issue. And that was kind of always the end goal, wasn't it? But yeah. it's very hard. I think for us to relate to because it's so different from our experience. But I think it's just the same, the same way that I remember me and my friends annoyed the older gay men because we'd be flouncing around <laughs> and they'd just be like, you have no idea what we went through yes. for you yeah, to be yeah, able yeah. to do this. And like if ever me or my friends, which I'm sure we all were, were disrespectful to them, mm. they would pull us aside and tell us like, oh, you have no idea. You need to be respectful of this. And they were right. And I liked the fact that I grew up in a time where there were a lot of not a lot. I mean, it's still Huddersfield, but there were gay spaces where people of all generations yeah. were all in one place, and it wasn't all about cruising or pulling. It was about just being part of a community where you felt accepted and hearing all the people's stories and learning respect and all this stuff. And now, I can see that um, we're becoming the old gays, and we're looking at the younger generation like, oh, it's easy for you now. You're not even having to come out. Yeah, but. Obviously, it's a mixed bag. On one hand, you're resentful for yourself. And on the other hand, you're like, well, this yeah. is what we wanted. This is what we've, everyone's been working towards. So we should be, we should be glad, obviously. Do, do you find that the more integrated we are and the more normalized it's become, the more divided we are as a community? Mm, that's an interesting question. Because, you know, you see now, like, even when it comes to tribes on these, these apps or just the way people treat each other, and especially now, you know, you can't, there's a lot of not offending people. So I think one of the things that's coming across is that we're dividing ourselves the more inclusive that we are. So I don't know, with, with your kind of work that you do, how you've seen that? Oh, definitely. I I really think that a lot of, um, I think society is very divided at the moment. And I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that people are very unforgiving and unwilling to listen at the moment mm. to anything that's a different opinion from their own. And I think that, um, when we were growing up, there were people who had opinions that differed from ours and that we didn't agree with, but usually everyone was still free to engage in a conversation where you shared your views. Maybe you were heard, maybe you weren't, but everyone got a yeah. chance to do that without fear of um, punishment or retribution. But in today's society where so much is on social media, we're creating a culture where people are scared to go even slightly off script or say anything slightly risky or anything slightly non-PC for fear of being cancelled and being told that they're wrong Mm. or they're um, bigoted and all this stuff. And so what I think is happening is people are actually disengaging from even having a conversation, which would have been an opportunity for them to learn, to grow, to educate, or just to hear someone else's views and not even change their own, but just be more. So I, I, I do think that sometimes you catch more flies with honey, is that the saying? Some flies with well, I've not heard that one, but yeah, I don't think that was flies the same. bees with honey, something like that. Um, as in, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of anger, and I get where it's coming from at the moment, mm. like politically and socially. Um, but 
I I don't like cancel culture, and I don't. I think yeah. this like this need to, for everything to be so PC and so woke and so I don't know the word woke. You are young, aren't you? Aggr- Use the word woke. I'm using it in a dismissive way. <laughs> Um, I think it's counterproductive. And as you notice, yeah. the more PC societies become, the more right-wing politically mm-hmm. um, things have been. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think when yeah. you af- stop allowing people to have an opinion and share their thoughts, even if it's something you disagree with, they will take that resentment and they will express it when they get their vote like everyone does. And that's mm-hmm. probably why a lot of the people who are ramming a woke agenda down people's throats are not seeing the results they want mm. Politically, yeah, and yet they're not connecting the dots as to why this is happening, and I find it very frustrating. Oh, yeah, but that's <laughs> just if you can hear something, by the way, on on the podcast, I think my neighbours are, are running their spin cycle at the moment. Can you hear that noise? Oh, really? How rude is that? I can't can hear, hear it at all. Oh, let me just turn you up. Let's have a look. Uh, oh, I don't want to hear it. Oh no, no, no. It's just <laughs> I, I could, I could, hear, I can hear a lot of things. Spin cycle going on. I'll try and harder, harder, harder. <laughs> I don't think that's a spin cycle. <laughs> I think they're having another form of exercise. But with, the, with this thing you're saying about how you don't like certain things, you're a journalist. So you've you've done a lot of celebrity journalism, and you actually chase celebrities around to try and get that story. So you must have a bit of a moral dilemma when it comes to reporting stories, shall we? Not so much anymore because I'm freelance, but, um, so I have a lot more control over what I publish and what I don't. So it's just up to me. But yeah, when I used to work at the Sun newspaper, there was a lot of um, a huge amount of pressure to bring in exclusive stories. And sometimes that would mean that the lines were a bit blurred as to what you would do. Sometimes you would do a story um, that maybe you weren't that proud of um, because you, like, you're only as good as your last story there. And that's how you survive in that environment is by mm-hmm. breaking big stories, leading the news agenda. And yeah. the sun does it very well. But because there are so many other people doing it, you kind of, it's a very stressful job and it's very... Even when you've had like a front page story within the uh, next week, people oh, are like, you dropping? Well, are you next? dropping there? Did you have another front page story? I had a few front page oh, stories. There yeah. we go. <laughs> Spill the, Spill the tea. <laughs> My first front page story was about Doc Cotton being deaf and blind. Ooh. The actress, not in the in the soap. Oh, okay. Um, it came straight from her, so there was no moral dilemma on that one. She'd revealed it um, while appearing at, at an event in London. Okay. And um, yeah, they ended up running that on the front page, which I wasn't expecting. No. Uh, they didn't use my headline, which was, what, cotton? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because it was um, no laughing matter. But <laughs> it's a comedy writer, you, by the way, folks. Because you have to suggest <laughs> when when you work at the Sun and you pitch mm. your stories every day uh, for, com- for news conference, you pitch the story and you come up with a headline suggestion. Mm. So that was my okay. favorite part. I liked doing the like pun headlines yeah. and stuff. And I liked interviewing the celebrities and I got to like, have a lot of cool experiences. I got to cover the Oscars in LA and go to Elton John's after wow. party. That was cool. I got to meet Madonna, my idol. So there's a lot of cool experiences, but there was also a lot of um, stressful shit. That <laughs> I should just say like it is. <laughs> should I not be swearing? No, you can do. But you can say what you like. Fuck for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 have got this like list of people that you want to meet in life. I think you said Madonna's very much at the top of your list. She was at you? the top, and then yeah. after I met Madonna, I said. To myself, are you you will never be nervous meeting someone again now because you've met the queen of the world, the queen of pop, my idol, my spiritual leader, my everything. Your mentor. I'm sounding like a creepy stalker now. And believe me, I did when I met her. Yeah. I met her twice actually. The first time I was dressed head to toe in Madonna merchandise and I handed her a handwritten poem that I'd written for her. I, she didn't take it. 
Um, and she looked me up and down and was disgusted by me. And then the second time I thought, right, now I'm going to be professional because that didn't work. So I wore a suit and I interviewed her and that was much more enjoyable. But what, what part of that when you, there must be the part where you, you thought, right, I'm going to dress up like Madonna. Oh, I didn't dress up as Madonna. It just um, my T-shirts and stuff had oh. her her face yeah, on them it's, yeah I wasn't in full geesh maybe I should have done that <laughs> <laughs> but I mean at what point do you think actually this is quite a good idea I don't know I've kind of sometimes I know something's a bad idea but I'm just like I'm You're just gonna not committed it. to it that's basically my the moral of my life do you remember the poem <laughs> um I don't remember the poem but I remember that it referenced a lot of her songs so it's like no, just no. like a prayer, Madonna, you were always there. Actually, it was ripping off her own lyrics. I can't remember it fully. <laughs> so you plagiarised as I'm, well. I'm confident it was not good, but um, it had heart and soul in it. And it was written in my own blood, so that's quite personal. Wow. No, it wasn't really. <laughs> I think you, you were saying earlier that you had to send a message to your boyfriend about where you are. I think I need to do that to somebody. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I just had that Help. thing of like... Um, I was just outside the house like, oh, what if I'm going to get murdered? So I just text him the address just so that if I did get murdered, at least uh, you would be brought to justice. Great. So you're handing my, you're just spreading my address to everyone. Out. Just my boyfriend. <laughs> and he didn't that. reply anyway. So clearly he wasn't that worried. <laughs> did he not? No. Well, I'll check now. Oh, no, go have, have a look. Let's see. Let's, let's, you should read. We should actually look at like your, oh, you haven't got Instagram, but social media and see who you've muted. Oh my God. What's he said, just what you said. He said, you're more likely to be the murderer. There we go. Oh, my God. You clocked me right away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So you, you moved down to London. For, you've been, you said you've been here about 10 years, but you moved down to London to do your work. But, uh, I mean, the, was it just because there's more celebrities here or there's not a lot of celebrities on this, on this field? <laughs> oh, no. There's what? no celebrities in Huddersfield. What, what Patrick <laughs> Stewart, that's it. He's always there. Oh, do you, he, yeah. Nice. opening universities with his big scissors. Oh, Patrick Stewart. Do you? Yeah, I met him I really once like him. and he I said I told him I was from Huddersfield. I said I was from and he said, Where in Huddersfield? Yeah. I said Armonbury. He said, And where do you work? And I said, The Daily Star, which is where I worked at the time. He said, Someone from Armonbury deserves better than the Daily Star. And I was like, Ah, oh, you're right. And I left. <laughs> The next day. It, it, no, not because of that. But I did leave, obviously, eventually. <laughs> you, wrote, you wrote your notice in Star Trek paper. <laughs> <laughs> I would never watch Star Trek. <laughs> I think that, that series with him in is quite good. I do quite like him. I've got respect for him. I like a bald man, but not him. Ah. Yeah. more into it. Drink some more wine. We'll get to see what... Uh... <laughs> yeah, so you moved, to, you moved to London for your work, but um, what brought you to the shining lights of London? So I went to uh, the University of Sheffield uh, to do a degree in journalism, and I absolutely loved being in Sheffield. It's an amazing city, and I never Sheffield Helm. No, the University of Sheffield. How dare you? How very, very dare you? Anyone from Yorkshire will know what I mean by that. <laughs> no, Hallam's great too, but no, I would never. Okay, is that gay, is that gay club still going on in in Sheffield? Dempsey's. No, there's one that the university used to put on. Climax. Yeah, that was a monthly night. I don't think it is actually. Oh, wow. Maybe maybe it's not every month now. It's just maybe like once a year as a throwback. Oh, okay. I didn't used to like it though, but Dempsey's. Did you ever go to Dempsey's? Yes, I did. Yeah. That is my favorite club in the whole world. Oh, okay. It's grotty. It's mortifying. It's me. Is that the one with the like the, the square we can send? She's around? got a cage. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> oh, I had some fun nights <laughs> in Dempsey's. The thing with Dempsey's is, and I still go back sometimes when I visit my friends in Sheffield. Um, 
you can go in there and you request what songs you want and they will play them and no matter what. So when you, in London, you go out, as you'll know, like if there's a new song you love, like Ariana Grande, Thank You Next, for example, last year, okay. you will never hear it played in a gay bar. For some reason, it well, just never remix, gets played. Maybe, maybe a I play remix of Fuck that. remixes. I want to hear the song. I want to recreate the video. I want to, that's what, how I want to get my life. You just got GY better then. That even JAY do not play that shit anymore. No. Trust me, they are playing Dua Lipa and okay. stuff like that. They're not playing like the old pink hits and Britney hits that we okay. want. And but Dempsey's never moved on. They're still playing Blackout. Yeah. And that's what I want. And I love it. I absolutely love it. So yeah, Dempsey's. Um, I should get them to sponsor my podcast because I keep yeah. plugging them. Stop them. Get in touch. <laughs> no, I think. Money. Yeah, I, I had once uh, probably about um, I learned my lesson about two months ago. Maybe less. A guy came up to me when I was DJing and says, have you got hair, lips? Have you got a hair, lip? Hair, lips, something, something from RuPaul's Drag Race. I was like, I'm really sorry. There's a, there's a song, a quite famous song from, from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race called Hair and Lips and Something and Something. Oh, that's Todrick Hall, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really, actually a really good track. But at the time, I was like, no, I haven't. And he was like, call yourself a gay man, DJing the gay bat. And he really like went for it. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have it. So ever since then, every time I DJ now, I'll play that song. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got the usual RuPaul drag race type of thing, you know, like Sissy That Walk and all the da-da-da, but yes. generally. But wow, he went for it. He really went for I've it. I've shouted at DJs before, and it's always in London because they don't, like, I've been the gay guy who's gone up in the, the cool hipster bar in Shoreditch that's playing just like, music with no words and we're like can we have Beyonce and they're like I think you need to yeah. go somewhere else I'm like but that's what everyone wants everyone's just here posing and pretending to have yeah. a good time really people just want fucking crazy in love on just play it for fuck's sake that's the problem you've got all these laptop DJs now though that everyone thinks they just, they just want to push their own kind of music that they like playing that's what it is well I can't bear it but that's <laughs> why I like Sheffield because there's no pretense they play what you want and Everyone gets their life. Wow. <laughs> Not picky much, eh? So, you, you, yeah, you, the, the Sheffield University, you did your degree there. And just, yeah. Just, just, just a yeah, scrape and through. Yeah, and then I got a 2-1, and I uh, yeah. made some, like, the uh, best friends of my life there and had a really, really good time. And um, when I graduated, I wanted to stay in Sheffield, so mm. me and my friend Annabelle, we stayed on, and it was just a bit like... Um, staying too long at a party when everyone's left. Oh, so, yeah. and we were both on the dole at one point and trying to <laughs> living in a luxury flat. We ha we yeah. really hadn't thought it through. And after a few months, we were like, "Oh, this is not." I was working in a strip club. Yeah, uh, not as a stripper behind the bar. Really? Yeah. What a straight strip club. Yeah, they hired me oh. because I was gay. So, like, when we know you're not going to be looking at the boobies. Okay. Um, I still did because you can still admire. <laughs> <laughs> you want to put your head in them? Oh, I love about the Yeah, it's fun. Um, but eventually, I was like, "Oh, this is not working." So I went back yeah. to live on my mum's couch in Huddersfield for a bit while I was applying for jobs. And I'd realised by this point that because I don't drive, um, I couldn't really get any journalism jobs up north or anywhere okay. in the UK because every journalist is expected to have a driving license and be able to just drive off to whatever fire or. Uh, funeral or whatever's going on. All the cheery stuff then. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I tried to drive. I'd, um, I had started with instructors, um, but two separate driving instructors asked uh, to, for me to stop taking lessons with them. Why? Like basically broke up with me. They were like, I don't think this is working. They were just like, it's too stressful. I, w I was definitely not very good at it. There was one incident where I was with a female instructor and I'd taken my hands off the wheel of the car 
and screamed because the sheep came out in the road. You know, it's like in a field. Yeah, yeah. And um, she just pulled over and was like hyperventilating. I was like, you can't ever do that. You can't ever take your hands off the wheel. And I was like, well, I knew you were there. Like if yeah, I was driving on my own, pedals. I wouldn't have done that. But obviously I knew like, this is a sheep. You need to deal with it. So if you've got a passenger in the seat, you're okay to throw your hands in the air. Well, she, I mean, it's a driving instructor. So <laughs> she had yeah. the extra pedals. Okay. I don't know. But she broke up with me. Another guy broke up with me driving wise. And then the third one was kind of going all right. I couldn't bear him, but he um, had got me to the point where I was almost about to take my test. And then I, because I was so desperate to get it sorted, I um, had been taken uh, to taking my mom's car out in the middle of the night to practice. So it's three in the morning in a little village in Huddersfield. And I was sneaking out in the night, taking my mom's keys, going in her car and then like driving it around the block and practicing maneuvers. So not going off on like big wild joy rides, just around the block and doing my maneuvers. Yeah. But I wasn't um, putting the lights on, headlights. Oh Cause I didn't even think about it. Because all my driving instructor lessons have been during the day. So yeah. I've never had to learn to do that. And I could see because we had what they call streetlights. <laughs> so, so You've like, got them in Huddersfield, have you? So it wasn't like, we haven't got the electricity. We've got the streetlights. <laughs> um, so it wasn't like I was driving around in pitch black. Uh, so I was doing that. And then the police came and pulled me over. And I was like, WTF, what's going on? Uh, and they pulled me over and I got out of the car. And uh, I got out without on a hill and I hadn't taken the handbrake off and the car started to wheel back oh into God. the police car and they had to jump in and stop it. And they were like, well, you're clearly very drunk. Like we have to arrest mm. you. I was like, I'm not actually drunk. I'm just yeah. a really bad driver. They're like, no, we'll, they breathalyzed me and I was sober and they were yeah. like, oh my God, you must be on drugs. So they took yeah. me into the police station, drug tested me. I was clean of drugs. They were like, oh my God, you're a really bad driver. I was like, I know. <laughs> and um yeah, then I had to go to court and I was charged with taking without owner's consent and yeah. driving without insurance and um, what was the other one? Driving without a license. So that's three charges because my mum couldn't say she'd given me consent, which she hadn't. Yeah. Even if she had lied and said she had, she would have been charged for giving yeah. consent to someone without a license and insurance. Jesus. So I had to... Um, and the worst thing about this story is that um, my mum got a knock on the door and then like in the early hours in the morning and then walked past my bedroom. So I wasn't in it, went to the door, opened oh. it and there was a police officer there. Oh, so even though it only lasted for three seconds, my mum thought I died. Um, so when they told her that I was arrested for driving a car, she was just so relieved because <laughs> yeah. she was like, oh, he's alive. So I didn't even get punished oh. for it by my mum, but I did get punished by the courts and they fined me and they put points on a license that I didn't have and they banned me from learning for a year. So, um, I was, that was the end of my, my, my attempt to drive. So I was like this, I'm not going to drive. I no. can't drive. I was bad at driving. It's probably best. I don't drive cause I'll, I'm a danger to society, to the road, to, to myself. Um, so I accepted that I couldn't be a driver. Um, and <laughs> I knew that in London you could get journalism jobs without requiring a license because the underground means that no one really drives here and everyone can get around. Yeah. So that was it. I knew I had to move to London. And um, so I started applying for jobs. And after a few months, I got one. And the rest is history. But how does that reflect then? Because usually, if you, I mean, I mean, that's that story you told me. It's, I mean, that's shocking. That's the worst I've ever heard about anyone driving at all. How does, ah! that, how does that reflect with the rest of your life? 
what will let the chaos... Is that a nice... Yeah, the chaos. Is that just an isolated... I'm just crap. Or is it kind of like, well, this is... You know, there's some kind of state going on in your head constantly about how you live your life. Yeah, I think um, there's just... So, so, like something wrong with me. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not good at anything practical. Uh, I've never been able to, um, I don't know, like if the TV's not working or if there's a like a light bulb or like anything like that, I just can't do it. So if I, you can't do it or you just don't want to? I think it's partly I don't want to. Yeah. So I, I think I learned, <laughs> well, I'm naturally not good at it anyway, but I also think at a young age, I learned that if you just don't do those things and say you can't do them, that people just do them for you. Oh. So, um, yeah. That, and how's Louis cope with this? Oh, you'll have to have him on as a separate interview. Okay. No, well, he, actually, if Louis goes to anchor.fm forward slash shades of gay, he can send me a voice note to the, the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be three hours long moaning yeah. about me. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the real tea. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, yeah, I've always just, I don't know, just wanted to focus on um, being good at like things that I find satisfying, like writing mm. and creating things. And I don't find any pleasure in learning skills that are practical based. Okay. Um, so I just try and avoid it at all costs which has made me like an adult child, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you saw earlier when you told me about your bathroom door and having an issue, and I was like, oh, I can't deal with that. I, I know, just fell I, apart. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in a place where, see, for some reason, all the door handles, you have to pull all the way down to the bottom so it's facing the ground, which is very bizarre. And, uh, yeah, most people get locked. They'll, they'll give it a go, and then they'll get locked in. But it is quite easy. But you just left the door open, didn't you? I did, because I just knew Too that much. I would be locked in for days. <laughs> You know, there's someone on the other side of the door, right? You know, <laughs> you say that, but sometimes there's no Could've one left. there. Could have got my knife. Could you think I'm going to kill you? And how did <laughs> how did your first job in London turn out? Then how was that? Who was that with? That was with Inside Soap magazine. It ended quite oh. badly. Why? Um, I probably shouldn't get into the reasons for that. But I stayed for just like three Still months the and left. I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. <laughs> and then um, I worked at an agency called Bang Showbiz, uh, which is like a news agency that gives showbiz stories to the papers. And through that, I started going to events and uh, interviewing celebrities and learned I had a bit of a knack for it because I have no issue mortifying myself or mortifying other people. Yeah. Um, so from there, it led to me being freelance and having my stories appear in The Sun, The News of the World, because this was before it shot, yeah. uh, The Mirror, mm. etc. cetera. And um, eventually I ended up sort of working at the Daily Star on their showbiz column and eventually it became my column. Um, oh, yeah, it just I never chose to go down that path. It was just sort of, I was in London um, and it just kind of all started happening. And that's always true of anyone you speak to in showbiz journalism. No yeah. one intended to do it apart from a very, very small minority of weird people. But usually it's people <laughs> like, oh, I wanted to do this, but then it, it didn't happen and I ended up doing this. So it's yeah. just kind of like the waifs and strays of the media. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's and a lot of gays, obviously. A lot, yeah, a lot of gays. So is, is there any regrets that you have with kind of reporting on celebrities or is it a case that anything that you did spill on these people that it's fair game? I do think it's fair game. Um, so it's not like a moral dilemma I have that like, oh, no, I've ruined this person's life. Because I don't think I ever did a story that had a really... Yeah, I probably have. I bet you've done a lot of damage in your time. Thank you. The Sun, The Mirror, Daily Star, 
you know, all these things. Well, most I, of I the Daily Star so. stories weren't really true, so <laughs> I don't think it damaged them that did, much. I mean, did, did your reporting ever get changed? Or did you have to say you wrote for the Daily Star? Did you have to say, I've gone to see I mean, whoever it was and then write shit about them? That's not true. Or did they, like, take what was factual and they go, well, actually, we need a spin on this? Well, the thing is, so how it works with celebrities is there's a lot of rumors about people and there's a lot of people telling you information like, oh, they've done this, they've done this, they've split up, they're getting married, they're doing this. So you're getting all these stories. And then if you're a respectable paper, which believe it or not, the sun is in terms of they will stand up, they call it every story. So when okay. they get information, they then go to the person's team, get a comment um, and find ways to double source or prove that their story is true before it goes to print. Um, but so a lot of times the celebrities, their team lies. So the story is true, but they lie. So you kind of have to figure out ways around it. And sometimes okay. you will take a risk because you're confident in your source, even though it's not fully proved. And sometimes mistakes are made. Uh, when I worked at the Daily Star, they were a lot more lapsed about that. So they weren't, the stories weren't really serious. It was kind of silly stuff in the gossip column. Yeah. But um, if it's, I mean, if you're writing stories about people like Beyonce and Rihanna, they're not going to comment. Yeah, like on silly stuff. Yeah. Like if you're saying, oh, it, this says that you ordered 5,000 pounds worth of Nando's on your recent tour. Is it true? They just won't get back yeah. to you because they've got better things to do. So you just, at the Daily Star, they were a lot more easygoing about just running that stuff. And it's mm. like, no harm done. It's all a bit silly. But then when I went to The Sun, um, I was working on bigger stories and more serious stories. And that was a, a, a lot more of a serious business in terms of everything you, you put in yeah. print has to be true and has to um you have to be responsible for it and answer to it so that's when things got more serious and more stressful really i guess so i guess that if people do a search on google under ed dice and they'll be able to get a lot of your stories out there mostly the sex tapes will come up first well, that was, yeah. <laughs> well, how about with the search under edwin Edwin, Edwin, is that what you think my name Dyson. is? No, Ed, no, is it Edwin? You you wrote a book recently under under pseudonym. Oh, that was which... Ella Dyson. Oh, e no. Ella, yeah. I'm sure I read it as Edwina or Edwin. No, it's Ella. Okay, so Ella Dyson, tell me about that. You've wrote a book recently, haven't you? I released a book last year, yes, and they wanted it to be a female author. So I um, creatively changed my name from Ed Dyson to Ella Dyson for that release. Yeah, and it's, all like, it's, it's kind of set up north, but based on influences from Sex and the City now? It's about um, a group of girls. It's about a group of girls, yeah. There's a bit of Sex and the City and a bit of Dairy Girls and mostly the big influences, the Spice Girls. So half of it's yeah. set in the 90s. Um, it's called Friendship Never Ends. The um, Yeah, it's kind of... The idea for it came from the publisher. So they were looking for a book that had a girl power Spice Girls themed. Mm. And I love pop music, I love the Spice Girls. And I'd always wanted to be a writer. And um, so I pitched them an idea for the book, which saw a group of girls living in Huddersfield who were big Spice Girls fans <laughs> who do a tribute to the Spice Girls Amazing. Um, at their talent show. And it goes disastrously wrong. And then 20 years later, they've all fallen out and gone their separate ways. Uh, but at a high school reunion, they come back together. So there's a bit of Romeo and Michelle in there as well. Oh, which my favorite shit. Yeah. I'm the Mary. No, I'm the Mary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they come back together and then they all kind of have to figure out their differences to um, sort out their own train wrecks of lives. Mm. And then, yeah, the, the, the girl power, friendship, um, 90s themes are running throughout it. And it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's very amazing. funny, I hope. You've got <laughs> a lot. That looks on you. I've got it. You can get it if you I'll do a search. 
And Friendship Never Ends on Amazon. It's on there for digital download as well. Yeah. Uh, in a physical book? No, there's no physical book. It's just a You're so book. modern. <laughs> You're so with well, it. Even though I'm a complete Luddite, as we found out, and can't yeah. use the internet. Yeah, it's just an <laughs> online ebook. Yeah. Didn't know how to use a mic earlier. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, it is Friendship Never Ends. I've got to Amazon. Do a, do a search for that, and you can digital, digital download it, which is very yes. nice. I have to get on that one as well. So you've done, you done your writing. You do comedy writing. We've, we've tried to establish that you, you wasn't, with the comedy that you're doing, a lot of people hide behind that. We said that you didn't really kind of have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you've you've always known you've been gay and you, your parents have been fine with that. You see yourself in London, you've been writing journalism, but you, you said that you want to kind of get away from doing that now. You've, you've yeah. been there, done that. It's been 10 years of interviewing celebrities, covering events, and it's been fun. And there are elements of it that are fun, but overall I don't find it very satisfying. And no. that was one of the reasons I uh, left The Sun to go freelance was because... It's not something that I felt proud to tell people that I was doing. It's not something that I felt fulfilled about. It's not something that I felt was making a, like a positive contribution to the world. I just yeah. didn't feel creatively satisfied. Um, so I still do that work and it's still fun and it's still, I'm still grateful to have it. Um, and I still work with a lot of those papers, but um, working on my own stuff, um, the sitcom, the books and yeah the comedy material for people that's where i feel like proud of what i've done and feel yeah. like oh you know that sense of pride that you should have with your work so i'm hoping that that stuff gets to a point where um it is doing well enough that i can kind of leave behind the journalism i mean i'll always do journalism i'll always want to write articles and give my opinion on stuff but i don't really want to rely on it anymore especially the showbiz side of it it yeah. is a bit vacuous and Interviewing celebrities is, is not as fun and glamorous as people think it is. Like, they're very boring. They don't give yeah. you any real answers. They are very media trained. Um, sometimes, you, I was telling you earlier, wasn't I? Like, last night I went to a party, like, buzzed around Susanna Reid for an hour just to go up and try and speak to her. And she said, I'm not doing interviews. So I just, she was the only one at the party. So I just had to leave. And I was like, that was a waste of my evening. Do you ever take that personally when, when people are like that with you? Yes. No. No. <laughs> Um, no, I don't really. The, the, the cuts on your missing yeah, <laughs> Um No, not really. I mean, you do notice that different types, what kind of person you are does elicit a different response. Okay. But it can work against you and in your favor. So, for example, there was a time when I interviewed Nicki Minaj and I hadn't oh. had a set-up interview with her. It was at a basketball game in America and I kind of um, had pushed my way through her big security guards, which was quite fun, let me tell you. <laughs> and to it. get to her. And then I was like, <laughs> and then, <laughs> let me see. <laughs> and then, um, and yeah, I went up to her and then me being like camp and a big fan really worked. So I was like, Nikki, I love you so much. Will you speak to me? And she had no reason to give an interview, but she just liked the way I was being. And she gave me an interview. Whereas I bet if it had been a big straight guy going, uh, Miss Minaj, can we have a minute? She would have been like, no. no. <laughs> but then at the same time, it's happened to, to me the other way where you're at a party and you're trying to speak to, I don't know, someone like, who can I think of? Ollie Murs is a bad example because he always talks to everyone. But if I was trying to get up to Ollie Murs, and he'd be like, oh, no, not tonight, mate. I'm just having it. And then yeah. a, a young female journalist goes up to him and he tries to talk to him. He'll uh, be like, suddenly want to talk to him. You would, though, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, if you if you really fancy the person that's going to do you, be like, yeah, I'll give you oh, a Oh, absolutely. I get, I get what five. So it can work in your favor and against you. Or if there's some old queen like mm-hmm. Elton John, then obviously you pull your trousers off and walk over to him and hope that that's going to work. Have you ever casted couch for, for your story? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. 
Where you see yourself, if you're going to leave out of journalism, you're going to continue with your, your comedy and um, uh, your writing, things like that. You, you've got the two podcasts that are going at the moment. because These are relatively new podcasts. So what, yes. what, what do you aim with doing them? Because you actually work um, alongside a guy called Charlie, don't you? Yes, Charlie Valentine. He co-hosts the podcast with me, and he's a comedian, a proper comedian okay. who goes on stage and stuff, not like really? me. Really? Yeah, he's very, very funny. Okay. Um, that's how we met. Actually, we were both appearing in roast battles, okay. uh, so which is where two comedians get on stage and like read each other to filth. And then I love the, that. I love that saying. And then there's judges, and the judges decide who's the winner. And we weren't against each other, but we were both appearing at the same roast battle night uh, back in the. I think it was early summer maybe and he won his roast battle and I won my roast battle and I was really loved his jokes that he'd done so afterwards I went up to him and like said hi I loved your joke and then his name is so memorable Charlie Valentine I mean, yeah it's, it's his stage name it's also if you do a google on Charlie Valentine you get all these different kind of guys coming up <laughs> oh really yeah you should do it do well, it I haven't googled him yeah, google. um but yeah he um I added him on Facebook and then I started messaging because I'd I'd known that I wanted to do a drag race podcast, but I didn't want to do it on my own. And mm. I didn't, couldn't think of anyone that I knew who could do it with me because there were people who I knew who I thought would be good on a podcast, but they didn't really mm. have the drag race fandom that's required. And then there was people I knew who were big drag race fans, but I didn't think either they'd be good at on the podcast or they would be committed enough because it's a big mm. commitment. And obviously, you know that you do two yeah. podcasts yeah. for like a while, but. I kind of was a bit naive and just thought podcast it takes like an hour to record so it's just one hour in your week it's it's been a lot more than that it's a lot more work it's a lot more time consuming than I could have imagined yeah. um, so, Yay. <laughs> so so yeah you need someone who's fully committed to it and Charlie really liked the idea was really up for it really liked drag race so we kind of agreed to do it before we even really knew each other but some of the listeners have said that um They've enjoyed the fact that listening to the podcast, they're almost listening to me and him get to know each other. Oh, good. So like yeah. when we share our stories, he's we're usually hearing them about each other for the first time. Whereas if I'd done it with one of my old friends, we would be like, oh, tell them the story about this. Tell them the story yeah. about that. And we've heard it a million times. But what, what if you'd have, like, if you were getting to know each other on a podcast, what if you'd have been like, actually, you're quite an asshole. <laughs> well, it'll be like um, Philip Schofield and um, Holly Willoughby one night where you secretly hate each other <laughs> and then you just turn on the smiles for the thing. Yeah. yeah, it was a risk. But I think mostly, I don't know, is this true? I say mostly gay men get on, don't they? You've already got lots in common. And if you like drag race. I don't know. I think I think the, um, as soon as you said you're from the north, that kind of seals it for me. Yeah. I like anyone that's got a northern accent from the north, you kind of got, got to like him. You're right by me, Chuck. Yeah, you <laughs> it is. But, you know, it, it's... Um, well, I think you can go either way. I think you can either get on really well or it's one of these things where it's like chopping cheese. I mean, yeah. there's some people I come across, I'm like, oh, God, no. No, girl. No, it's, <laughs> like, it's not happening. Well, I knew that Charlie was funny because yeah. um, that's how I'd first encountered him. And obviously, he's a comedian. Yeah. Uh, and I've always found that I'm willing to forgive a lot if I find someone funny. So, God. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you could be like, yeah, a murderer or whatever. But if you make me laugh, I'll probably let everything else slide. Why do we keep it's talking just, about murderers? I don't, well, this is you. I, I mean, to be yeah, fair. It's just me, isn't it? It, yeah. it really is. So um, if you uh, well, if you don't listen to this podcast, I'm dead, you know? So <laughs> if you're listening to it, I'm alive. I'll still put out the audio. <laughs> Will you? Yeah. I'll edit it while I'm burying you. 
So wait, where do you see yourself? We're going to round it off now. You've actually been quite a while on uh, the shades again. Normally we do about 45 minutes. You're on 57 at the moment. Really? That's oh, right, I do it. yammer on. I'm sorry. T- time, fl- <laughs> time flies. So uh, <laughs> do you want to do some uh, closing like statements? Where do you see yourself being? Where, If you could uh, see yourself as a, a 50-year-old gay man, what would be your lifestyle? Probably dead. Um, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> the way you talk. <laughs> well, I would like to... The thing is, I'd like to have children, but I'd like to be very rich so that I can pay a team to like help me raise them because I don't think I'd be able to do it. So you want to buy a child and then let someone else look after it? Yes, that's what I want. So I would like to be 50 years old, very rich, with a string of successful films and books to my name and songs. Okay. I wouldn't have oh. to sing them because I can't sing, but I'd like to write songs for other people a la Max Martin. Okay. So yeah, you write the theme tune. Sing, Sing the theme tune. tune. United Queendom! <laughs> and uh, have my children being looked after by someone. And I would like a... Why not you? No, I want to be there for the emotional and... So stuff. you want the love, but you don't want the shit that goes with it? Yes. Okay. I don't want to, like, change any nappies or, um, <laughs> c- like, cook or anything. You do realise that if you actually go to adopt anything, if they listen to this podcast, they're going to be like... Absolutely. Oh, God, and they will. I did a feature about adoption, (laughs) and they basically, like, are private investigators into your life. They go back to your childhood boyfriends, girlfriends. They interview everybody in your life. It's terrifying. So, yeah, they would never let me. No. Your history. Yeah. (laughs) Stealing a car, driving without a (laughs) license. Yeah, can we edit half this podcast out? Well, d- before we go, just give out your uh, social medias and uh, give a plug on your podcast as well. Shit. Well, uh, the podcast is United Queendom. Shit. Oh. And I just realized I don't know my social medias. United <laughs> Queendom and yeah. the Ed and Charlie show, but the social media is all on Instagram. It's uh, at United Queendom Podcast. Yeah, yes. And I'm on Twitter at Edward Dyson 205. Um, yeah, the book Friendship Never Ends is available on Amazon under Ella Dyson, not Edwin. Sorry, um, my bad. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's everything. Oh, thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure to meet you, Ed. Yes. Thank you very much. You can finish. Have you finished your drink yet? Oh, this is my last bit. And I oh, didn't burp. Oh. I did one burp, but I didn't know it. So I think we got away with it. And you didn't get locked in the toilet. Well, thank you very much. It's the Shades of Gay. We'll be back again very shortly. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.